It's funny, Sam, Sam mentioned, um, Be Thou My Vision, the hymn we sang, and how, you know, he used um, Thou Mine Inheritance, Now and Always, as part of his, the very next line, Thou and Thou Only, First in My Heart, High King of Heaven, My Treasure Thou Art. That is what this sermon is about today. That's, I was listening, I was singing, and I was like, wow, that reminds me of my sermon. And then Sam gets up and goes the line just ahead of him, like, whoa, you can't make this stuff up. This is good stuff. So today is going to be um, a little bit like Christianity 101. It's going to be very basic today, but sometimes we need to get back to the basics. We get a little confused and stuff. And in our reading this week in uh, Mark chapter 12. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, in, in Mark chapter 12, we, uh, we had Jesus speaking to a lot of different people. He is in Jerusalem. And he never leaves Jerusalem until he is crucified. So... But there's a lot of stuff that goes on. And we're going to talk a little bit. We're going to talk, take a, a section of scripture from Mark chapter 12. But before we do that, I love what Jeremy had to say about this is Memorial Weekend, Memorial Day weekend. Um, please, tomorrow, take some time to thank God for, the, for those that sacrificed, did the ultimate sacrifice, protecting our country putting themselves in harm's way. And speaking of that, we had a tragic event this week. Very troubling. Where 22 people lost their lives, including 19 children, in yet another school shooting. This time it was in Uvalde, Texas. But I think it's relevant to what we need to talk about today in these passages of Scripture. But, really. I mean, we've taken God and prayer out of schools. We haven't given kids a moral framework to work with, especially those from broken homes. We've made it a right that we can kill unborn babies for the sake of convenience. Therefore, diminishing the preciousness of all human life. We've told them about just a product of chance through evolution. And we've taught children how to kill with violent video games. What did we expect would happen? And today... I want to give you what Jesus gives us a much better way. A much better way. So I'm going to be reading Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 34. Later they sent some Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others, praying because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? 
But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote to us that if a man, man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers, hypothetically, of course. There were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, Are you not in error? Because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read the book of Moses? In the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbors yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. So in this section of scripture where Jesus is in the a series of talking with the leaders within the community of Israel, community of Jerusalem. We had the Pharisees, we had the Sadducees, and then we had the, um, the teachers of the law. So in this section of Scripture, Jesus tells us three things for each of those three conversations. Number one, we need to render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And to God, what is God's? In other words, we owe our allegiance to our government. But where it differs from our allegiance to God, God's comes first. Peter and John said it this way in Acts 4. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. Number two, Jesus indicts the Sadducees for not knowing the scriptures when it came to God, when it came to resurrection. So we need to know the word of God. Number one, first allegiance, God. Second, 
We need to know his word. And number three, Jesus tells us that the greatest commandment that we must live by, if we are a follower of Yahweh, he makes the greatest commandment out of two commandments. Deuteronomy 4, 6-5, and Leviticus 19, and 8. He says, no commandment greater than these. He makes them into one commandment. Loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, the Deuteronomy 4.65 passage was very familiar to the people of ancient Israel. In fact, it's known as the Shema. The Shema language. The Shema wording was said a lot. Shema refers to a couple of lines from the book of Deuteronomy. That became a daily prayer in ancient Israelite tradition. They did it twice a day. It's the equivalent of the Lord's Prayer that we do in the Christian tradition. The Shema gets its name for the first Hebrew word of the prayer in Deuteronomy. Listen. Now, in some translations it says, Hear, O Israel. But listen is the English word rendered Shema in Hebrew. In traditional Jewish practice prayer, these lines. Hear, O Israel. This is Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. It was prayed in the morning and in the evening. This prayer had been one of the most influential traditions in Jewish history. The Shema had functioned both as a Jewish pledge of allegiance and a hymn of praise. The Shema appears in the opening section of Deuteronomy, which is a collection of sermons or speeches that Moses gave before the next generation of Israel went into the promised land. Moses challenged them with his wisdom and warning because he didn't want the Israelites before him to repeat their parents' mistakes. Rather, he invites them to respond to God's grace and mercy with love, faithfulness, and obedience. Now, Deuteronomy, as you know, because we've gone through it, is a book of three sermons. The Shema was the centerpiece of the first sermon, or speech to the people. He said, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your might. Now, you Bible geeks will, be, will find this part really interesting. It's kind of complicated, but from ancient times there has been much debate on how exactly to translate and interpret the Shema due to the ambiguity in the grammar of the main sentence. There are no present tense verb equivalent to the English verb is. In ancient Hebrew, there's no is. There's a word for was, hayah. There's a word for will be, yayay. But is doesn't exist. Rather, two words are put next to each other and the word is is inferred. For example, in English, we would say, the car is red. In ancient Hebrew, it would be, the car 
read. It's inferred that the is is inferred. Ancient Israelites obviously had a concept of the verb is. They just didn't use a word to express it in their language. Instead, they used this grammar tool of simply placing two words together. Grammar nerds are called this nominal clauses. Now, the problem in translating and interpreting the Shema arises from the fact that it's made of two back-to-back sentences that lack the word is. In Hebrew, the prayer consists of four nouns in a row. Yahweh, Elohenu, Yahweh, Echad. The Lord, our God, Lord, one. As you can see, we've got four words. Depending on where you place the word is, you can end up with different sentences. Number one, the Lord, our God, is one Lord. Number two, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Number three, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. At the end of the day, the meaning between these options isn't drastically different. But each one has a different emphasis. Is the point that the Lord God is one and not many? Or is the emphasis on the fact that only the Lord is our God? Does the Shema claim that Israel's God is one being? Or is it highlighting that the Lord alone is Israel's God and not any other? My answer to that is yes. The last meaning seems to fit the overall context of Deuteronomy. Much better. In other words, the Shema isn't trying to make a philosophical statement about God's essence being that the God is one, though that's true. Rather, the Shema is a pledge of allegiance to the Lord God of Israel that excludes allegiance to any other gods. Why is that so? As you read through Deuteronomy, the Israelites had been steeped in polytheistic cultures for generations. From their roots in Canaan to the long years in Egypt to their traveling through Canaanite territory in the wilderness, they had been surrounded by people worshiping many different gods. Moses clearly believes that loyalty, obedience, and love to their one true God is the only way to life. One of the greatest threats of Israel's future was dividing their allegiance between many gods. And it did. And so the Shema is a daily reminder that the Lord our God alone is our God. The prayer goes on from here to show the value of passing this conviction on to later generations and to spare them the tragic results of idolatry to other gods. Deuteronomy 6, 7 says, You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Can I tell you how, that, how important that is in this church? Jeremy's whole ministry lately has been with the next generation, is how we train our kids the next generation, with them to love God and to love God's word. If, if you're interested in that, gosh, please talk to Jeremy about it. Get you a blueprint to help you 
teach your kids towards God. Because it's your responsibility as parents. The opening line of listen, O Israel, in the Shema does not simply mean let the sound waves enter your ears. Instead, the word listen here means to allow the words to sink in, provide understanding, and generate a response. In other words, in Hebrew, hearing and doing are basically the same thing. But how should Israel respond to hearing that the Lord alone is their God? Love the Lord your God. In this context, love isn't simply some fuzzy emotional energy we feel when we like somebody. In the Bible, love is action. You love someone when you act in loyalty and faithfulness. For Israel, to love meant meaning faithful obedience to the terms of their covenantal relationship. Those terms are the laws and commands that will make up the body of work and the rest of Deuteronomy. Chapters 12 through 26. Obedience to these law was never about legalism or trying to earn God's favor. Obedience in the Old Testament is about love and listening. If an Israelite loves God, it will make it easier to listen and absorb his teaching and guidance. This is why the words listen and love are so tightly connected and repeated through these opening sermons of Deuteronomy. As I mentioned earlier, the Shema became a twice-daily prayer in Judaism. It was so widely practiced in the Second Temple period Jesus himself probably grew up praying it. Obviously, this prayer was formative for Jesus, and it drew on his teaching. It appears Jesus mentioned it on numerous occasions when he was asked which was the greatest commandment. It's all three of the synoptics Matthew 22, 34 through 40, Mark 12, 28 through 34, which we read, and Luke 10, 25 through 28. The first two, are probably the same instance, just seen by two different eyewitnesses. Now, the one in Luke is done by a lawyer asking earlier in Jesus' ministry, and then he says, you know, love the Lord your God with all your soul, mind, and strength, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that guy, to justify himself, well, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus says, he launches into the story of the Good Samaritan, talking about who your neighbor is. In the book of Revelation, the, the, the Apostle John drew upon this Shema prayer, or his understanding of Shema, to describe Jesus' followers. Remember in Deuteronomy 6.8, He says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. The physical location on your hands and between your eyes is a symbol with fairly obvious meaning. Your eyes are the place where you see and use your hands for almost everything you do. This prayer was to guide the vision and action of every moment in life. That is why John says that in the new creation, when God's people live in intimate proximity to God and the risen Jesus, 
Revelation 22, 4 says they will see God's face and his name will be on their foreheads. Now this is in contrast to people who reject the way of Jesus. They have given their allegiance to other powers that are bent on destroying them. They're depicted as beasts in Revelation 13, 16. The beast also forced all people great, small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads. For John, the choice is a stark one. You either give your allegiance to Jesus and allow it influence on how you see and act, or your allegiance will belong to destructive powers that will also govern how you see and what you do in life. One path leads to life. The other path leads to death. All these ideas and images come from Moses' words in Deuteronomy, specifically from the Shema. Now the Shema is a beautiful prayer. There's a reason why God's people have been praying these words for millennia. They are simple words with the capacity to reshape the course of an entire life. The Shema can keep God's love and loyalty in the forefront of our mind and drive you towards obedience. Not out of obligation or duty, but out of love. The words of Jesus in the Gospel of John are obviously derived from the Shema. John fourteen twenty one. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And remember whose love started this whole chain reaction of love leading to obedience. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. And because he loved us, we can love others, our neighbors. And what does it look like for us in today's cultures? What does loving others look like in today's culture? How about helping kids that don't have fathers involved in their lives? It's helping with stopping abortion as a viable alternative to pregnancy. It's speaking against the violent video games in our society. In a thousand different ways, as you're led by the Holy Spirit to act out of love for your neighbor. We had a bad week this week. But let me give you a hypothetical bad week for the U.S. Let's imagine on Sunday we got word that there was a shooting in El Paso in a Walmart where 23 people were killed. And then on Monday we heard about a high school shooting in Columbine High School where 15 people were killed. And in the afternoon we found out that Stoneman Douglas High School, there were 17 killed. And then on Tuesday, we heard story of planes flying into the World Trade Center in the Pentagon. And in Landon, Pennsylvania, 
where 2,977 people died. And if that wasn't enough, on Wednesday we heard about another school shooting, Sandy Hook Elementary, where 28 people were killed. And then in the afternoon we heard the San Bernardino shooting, there were 16 more people killed. And then on Thursday we heard about the shooting in Ovalde at Robb Elementary where 21 people were killed. And then that evening we saw, we heard at Aurora, Colorado movie theater where 12 people were killed. And just when we think we can't handle all this innocent blood dying, on Friday we heard about Pan Am Flight 103 that blew up in the middle of the air. And 270 people were killed. And then on Saturday, we had Hurricane Katrina, where 1,836 people were killed. That would be a bad week, wouldn't it? Would you agree? That would amount to 5,215 innocent people perishing. In one week. We would be devastated, wouldn't we? I can't believe this week. Let me tell you something. Every week in this country, twice, more than twice of that, are killed at the hands of abortionists. 12,113 children are killed a week. And these numbers I get, not from a pro-life organization, this is from the CDC. Guys, we need to get involved. How, how, do we, how, do, how do we do this? How do we change things? Jesus said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. It's got to begin there. It's got to begin there. We talk a lot about the Great Commission. We're supposed to be making disciples. And baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey. That's what we're supposed to be doing. But the Great Commandment is how we do it. I don't know where the Holy Spirit leads you, but we got to start loving God. And because we love God, we listen to Him. Like the Shema says, we listen to Him, we step in obedience, and we begin to love our neighbors. Whatever that looks like. One of the things I've noticed. Nowhere in Scripture does it ever have to be, do you ever have to be commanded to love yourself? No, we're pretty good at that. But God needs to be number one. And if you're married, your first neighbor needs to be your wife. And at that point, you have got a ministry to love others because of loving God being the the foundation. 
and then loving others. This is how we change our world. This is how we make a difference in our world. When we get askew, when we start loving other things, is when we get screwed up. And this whole world is anything but God. Let's try anything but God. But God's always been the answer. Jesus has always been the answer. I don't know where you are today. But today, make a recommitment to the greatest commandment. Anywhere. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Won't you stand? I stand before you to tell you that I love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Do I do it perfectly? And because I love him, I love you guys. You guys are awesome. I love working with you guys. I love talking with you guys. I love spending time with you guys. Friday, I got to spend some great time with Evan and Adam and Trinidad as we were throwing trash in the dumpster. But we were working together side by side, helping the church out. Man, it was It was awesome. I was a little sore, i got to tell you. After. But it was awesome to be a part with you guys. Oh, and Barb, too. I got to work out with her. Can't forget the wife. You know how that goes. <laughs> guys, I love you. And I, I, I need to get better at loving you guys. I need to get better at loving my neighbors. I mean, my real neighbors. And the people I work with. It's called sanctification. You get better at it. You know how you get better at it? You practice it. You get better at it. That's going to be my prayer today. That we get better at loving God and loving others. Father God, we come before you. I thank you and I praise you. You're an amazing God. And I love you. Help me to love you more. Help me to show that I love you by loving others. Help me to get better at loving people. Help me to listen to your Holy Spirit and direct me to step in to loving others. Help us to build a bond and to change this world. Because only you can, Lord. Only you can do it. We ask, Lord, for your involvement in changing this world around, changing this culture. Back to a culture where you are number one and loving others is just as important. Thank you for who you are, Lord. Jesus, you're a great guy. You were the, you showed us how to live. You gave up your life to be the sacrifice That we might have a relationship with Yahweh forever. Thank you Lord. And thank you for our many 
who have died putting their lives on the line so that we might have freedom and safety. Thank you, Lord, and let us never forget the sacrifice. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.